I should probably um, straighten um, Andrew, uh, Andrew on one thing that uh, I don't think anything I have to say is more important than you. Anyone who's given me five grandkids can say whatever he wants. <laughs> you're, you're all right. On our, our Monday night study, a couple little prelude things. On our Monday night study, we are doing something that, that I'm kind of excited about. We're, we're looking at Jesus' parables. And uh, with our small group of guys that are meeting, they're assigned a parable. And then the following week, they come and teach it to us and then gives us the, the background and the meaning for that, which it's just exciting to see the men... Um, having homework, yes, but also more excited to see them come and have a love for God's word, and um, uh, that's really exciting. This evening is anything but a parable. What we're going to be coming uh, talking about tonight is crystal clear. As a matter of fact, I'm doing something kind of backwards that you might have heard before, and that is I'm not tearing apart every sentence because you don't need to. So we have an excellent skeleton, and then since Paul didn't do a good job, I'll fill in the outside of it. But uh, the reality is it's a wonderful piece of scripture, surprisingly so, one that I didn't take, you know, I kind of thought of all I was going to be doing uh, as serious as I should have until I started studying it. And then I thought, wow, what a gift from God that is. Um, one last thing, I was pleasantly surprised to see that Andy was here today, but I put this together with a mind he wasn't here to do the scripture reading, so I skipped it around a bit. So when you see Andy running back and forth just a little bit, uh, you'll know why. And uh, the, the reason why we're doing it is so that the mic picks up uh, the reading at that particular time. I could have redone the whole thing all over again, but a nap sounded better this afternoon, Andy. So, so there we sit. Well, what a, what a pleasure to be uh, going through First Timothy. And, you know, I don't know about all of you, but... As I'm seeing, I'm going, wow, we only have four left counting tonight. And um, it takes a, a lot of work to kind of to get prepared. And I must admit, I was kind of feeling kind of bad. We're almost, uh, we're almost done because you learn so much digging into God's word. And one of the things that I um, want to make sure we didn't do is I didn't want to take all the titles that you have in your Bible for what we're going to label here. And one thing um, that I really really was excited about here is that this actually is how we deal with widows, but also in that really how we deal with each other. So really I have it labeled here, gracious behavior uh, biblically. And you'll see exactly how we came to that as we dig into it. But maybe we'll go to a word of prayer and then we'll get uh, started. We're going to be on First uh, Timothy, yeah, seeing how you're reading, that's probably good for you to know. First Timothy 5, 1 through 16. All right, I'll memorize, good. Our Father God, we are, as always, excited to approach your word. We pray, God, that, that anything that we put in addition to what you've said does not take our mind off of what you had, on what you wanted taught. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his diligence in writing to Timothy and to the church and giving instruction things to do. As we think about just what a wonderful gift your letter was to Timothy, that we can say the very same thing, how wonderful it is, this letter 
that is still applicable today, meaningful to us. We pray, Father God, that uh, we have an open mind and that we will question maybe behavior we've done in the past so that we can be more obedient in the future. We also would pray, Father God, that we don't try to put something in here that's not meant to be a part of what you would have taught for your glory. We just thank you in all this for Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we look and see what our commitments are and the things that we're to do, um, this uh, going back to 1 Timothy 4.16, which we did a few weeks ago, but it, it, we need to see the balance we're to have in our lives and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I thought, that's fascinating what Paul was talking about. But remember, this is all one letter. So this is talking about everything we had studied up to that time and also what we're going to forward here in First Timothy, that we are to pay attention. We are to be uh, in the mindset of maybe we aren't doing everything exactly the way that we should. And I know that I was convicted going through this, so you have to be too. So I'll do my very best to kind of make that happen. But there is a solemn warning that will lead into the text for this evening by A.W. Pink when he wisely pointed out, service becomes a snare and an evil if it be allowed to crowd out worship and the cultivation of one's own spiritual life. And I thought, wow, how many times when you're old like me, how many times did you do service and you ignored worshiping God, and you ignored your spiritual growth. And yet, you thought you were doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, we're going to get challenged in that a little bit. And as we think about it, our life dedicated to consistent godly living and reliance is our best tool when it comes to preparing ourselves to assist others. If we fail preparing ourselves to assist others, we're not going to do it correctly or we're going to do it with our own power, thinking we're doing it with our own power, and not through the power of the Holy Spirit. The care of others in the church begins with individual actions and responsibilities. In our instruction tonight, it'll be appropriate for every one of us, as well as for the local church, to keep our priorities in order and have a plan of action for others and for widows in particular. It was James Hudson Taylor who said, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get, first of all, into harmony with him. And I thought that was a great way to lead into this. Uh, if you ever want to read a biography, read his. Such truth helps us stage for a commitment to Paul's instruction towards others including some directional, particularly focused to widows, ask yourself this evening, what more can I do to carry out God's will towards others and widows we know, or maybe widows we don't know? So Paul in 1 Timothy addresses problems in the Ephesus church and then issues that remained as a challenge even to our church today. So, you know, we're always talking about how we hear church tries to be relevant. Turn to scripture, it's relevant, Right? We don't have to try to uh, make that happen. So I'm going to ask Annie to come up and read just two verses to get us in the right direction. And that'll be 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. 
All right, 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather plead with him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And here when I was doing a brief overview, I thought we are going to be talking all about widows tonight. But I want those of you that are out there to understand, don't rebuke an older man, okay? But, uh, get that in mind. But Matthew Henry said, ministers or pastors are reprovers by office. It is a part, though the least pleasing part, of their office or responsibility. Pastors are to preach the word to reprove and rebuke. That's 2 Timothy 4.2. And when it came to challenges, this church had problems. Dealing with the problems. I think they had a tendency of wanting to provide grace. And Paul was once again telling Timothy, I love you, Timothy, but you can't not allow some of the things that are going on in your church to continue. And it looks like the way that they were working with, elder, uh, excuse me, with widows was not biblical. Communication challenges in the early church seem to be a common deficit for church leaders, such as lack of discipline towards the false teaching and other misconduct, as we've reviewed on the Sunday evenings before this. And we realize 2,000 years later, poor communication continues to be a roadblock to obedience as we oversee the church today. What's interesting is it's each one of our responsibilities to make sure that there is the proper communication amongst all of us. We drop in on Paul as he was providing some very practical instruction and defining expected Christian attitudes and behaviors when dealing with others. The theme included that are, are to carefully consider a person's age, which I thought was interesting. Now, as we, as we look at this, William McDonald suggested that due to Timothy's young age, remember he was pretty young with all this responsibility, he might be tempted to start becoming impatient and resentful towards older men in the congregation. It would be improper for Timothy to assault an older man with verbal blows. And Timothy was instructed to be wise on his approach with young men and women as well. So really this respect level goes upward, older, and it's also respectful downward when it comes to age of the person doing it. Let's provide some additional scripture insight that provides support to Paul's instruction. Toward our parents, we are to honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you out of Exodus 2012. And then towards the Lord, we are to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your products. That's Proverbs 3.9. Now, what's interesting is the area when it comes to what we're talking about on honor is used the same, both to your parents and both to God. And what Paul has done here now is he now has put an honor when you're dealing within the church, both to your elders and to those that are not your elders. By using the same terminology, the Old Testament compares the honor that we owe our mothers and fathers to the honor that you are to give to the Almighty. It's pretty weighty. And that's why it's so special what Paul did here. They all knew this part, or many of them did, because they knew the Old Testament fairly well. Some of those believers did. 
And so as soon as you have to start talking about honor, and now it's being told that's the way that we're to be communicating back and forth to each other in the church. Towards our parents, each one of you shall reverend his mother and his father. I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 9.3. And towards your Lord, you shall fear your Lord. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. Not that kind of swearing. Deuteronomy 10.20. Here it is. Respect is used that way again. God's word equates the respect you owe your father and mother with the respect you are to show to God. And here Paul is now passing that on even deeper. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul uses a family structure and respect analogy to drive home the affection and care Timothy and we are to take as he commands us to encourage one another with the same respect intensely as we have towards family members and to God himself. The word love has been hijacked in today's terminology. And, and it really kind of bothers me. Oh, how we love Disneyland. Oh, we love the beaches. We love our cars. And we love other worldly things. Well, let's place love back in a Christian perspective. Our love is to be unconditionally geared towards our support and actions towards each other, particularly believers. Whether they deserve it or not, now we're ready to move deeper into this evening's text. So, Andy, if you wouldn't mind one more time, sorry for the inconvenience. If you could read like three through eight and then just stand there just for a second. You got it. So here we go with three through eight. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in petitions and prayers night and day. But she who lives in self-indulgence is dead, even while she lives. And command these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Thank you. So what Andy just read is really giving us a very clear and a self-explained instruction from Paul. As we see what's there, what's interesting, and sorry, Andy, I'm going to have you back just in a second. Three, two, eight. I want you to work out, though. Uh, verses three through eight, very, very clear doesn't take a whole lot to explain to us. It's there. It's clear what we're instructed to do. Now, anytime when something like this is given in the Bible, I think we can clearly say at this particular moment, Paul was being very specific, wasn't going to take a lot of explaining. He wrote in the letter, here is what you're to do. You're not going to have to have five Sunday school classes to figure out what you need to do. It's here. It's clean. Other times, as I mentioned, in parables, Sometimes parables are given. I know most people think parables are given so it's easier to understand. Sometimes they're given so that it wasn't understood. And, but here, very, very clear. Now, next what we're going to hear is widows eligible for financial support. Again, it's going to be very clear and self-explained. And Andy, if you would read 
9 through 10, and then hang around. We'll do a little bit more. 9 and 10, you bet. It is so pretty, pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? It's got everything but check boxes. That's about right. Yeah. All right, 9 and 10. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in affliction, if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now, we're about ready. The interesting thing was brought up, a role. We'll talk about that in a minute. But look, Paul's saying, get some organization in your church. Know who the church is supporting. Know those that need to be supported. And know something about them. I mean, this wasn't just a take care of the widows and moved on. He was given some very specific things. Now, there are widows not eligible to be on the roll. And that's going to come from 11 through 16, and then you can rest for the rest of the evening. <laughs> the fee is the same. <laughs> but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no opportunity for reviling. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing woman has widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Thanks, Andy. I love it when Andy reads. It's like music. You know, this is really interesting. I really didn't think so as I read through it throughout the years, but it was when I really dug into this. This is clearly showing that there were problems in this church, and once again, the church leaders weren't addressing it. Uh, there are things that were going on with the widows, and there are things that were happening with the older widows and some with the younger widows, but there seemed to be no organization into it, and Paul is saying, let's get our act together. Now, Paul, all the way through 1 Timothy, is doing it in love. But at the same time, he's doing a little bit in sternness to Timothy, and you can bet Timothy was like, reading this and undoing his collar, and I'm sure his tie he always wore. But, um, but we will note that 1 Timothy 5 through 8 that Andy read is instruction to, this, to the church, specifically to widows indeed. And first, this was meant to be written to that church, so let's not kid ourselves here. From Paul's perspective, from God's perspective, is written to us today. Okay. God knew what he was writing in his word. He knew what Paul was doing. And so this includes women who lost their husbands. And this is important. I, I had never really knew this. These are for uh, widows who had lost their husbands from death, desertion, divorce, or imprisonment. 
So it kind of widens a little bit on maybe our definition of what widows would be. And for we as a church, and by the way, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about just the church leaders. I'm talking about you and me. Because when possible, it ought to be you and I who take care of it, and the last resort should really be the church. And so we have a personal responsibility here. Now, William, William Barclay also believed it also included those cases where polygamists came to Christ and sent away their extra wives. So if that's true, there was a whole lot going on with a lot of women in the congregation that needed support. I suppose some uh, were helped by some of those in the church. I suppose there are others that ignored them. Requirements of the church to financially supporting a widow included, and this is important for today and then, there is no direct family support possible. That's really number one, and that's what you or the church should look into. This person has a need, but what about their family? Has their family been involved? Number two, that the widow is a believer, and that's very important in this case for the responsibility to be on the church. It does not mean you can't support a widow who's not a believer, but it wouldn't fall under what Paul is teaching here. So she is to be a believer. And three, she must be a godly and obedient believer. So we can't have 15 widows walk through the door, all of them saying they need financial help, and the church should automatically support them. Anna was a tremendous example in Luke 2, 36 and 37. And this Anna too, but right here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband, get this, lived with her husband for seven years when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Think about this. Until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. This is a dedicated widow. This is a widow who has priorities. Now, that does not mean, okay, so if a widow comes and needs some support that we go, okay, have you spent, how many years is that? 60-some years in the church each day praying? That's not what it's implying here. It's just showing that a dedicated widow has her life focused on the Lord. God's word is clear. And by the way, how was she rewarded? Anybody know? She got to see the Lord. That was just a wonderful gift that she received for being obedient. God's word is clear that God is sensitive towards widows. Psalm 68, 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Now, you know what that means. If God is sensitive to widows, what are we to be? Sensitive. The blood family unit is to pick up the majority of the responsibility for a widow. That's clear. If there is no or very limited family support available, the church is to review the circumstances and, if appropriate, graciously step in. Our actions towards widows should match our Lord's love for them. And how about this pointed threat to mankind? Again, how does God see widows? Well, in Exodus 22, 22 through 24, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Any questions? 
God is showing here widows are to be respected. Widows are not to be considered problems. They are my children, says God. The church and each of us are to stand in the way of those who attempt to take advantage of a widow incapable to stand up for herself. On the evening news, we often see uh, videos of young men harming, robbing ladies, hitting them over the heads and all of that. And it looks like they get away with it, but they don't because there will be a judgment day and we already know how God will deal with them. Isaiah 117, again, the Bible's filled with things for widows. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. God's really clear how much we're to be involved taking care of those, in this case, widows. And by the way, I know some of you in this room do that. I saw it this morning. By the way, I won't mention it, but the person's here and showed love towards a widow. It was great seeing it. Again, we must treat widows and love them in the same special care as God does. Listen to the example in Luke 7, 11 through 15. Soon after, I love this, by the way, because here again, other portion of scripture, focus on widows. Soon after, we went to a town called... Nan and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. There is a reason why God throws in this detail. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Do you even know how to have this kind of compassion? Let me tell you what this kind of compassion really says. It means you lose sleep over a widow and her needs. It means it really bothers you. It doesn't mean it crosses your mind occasionally. This is deep down. It really bothers you. Jesus saw and went up to her and said, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bearer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. One of the greatest miracles he did. And... The dead man sat up and began to speak and listen to these lovely words. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Oh. My reactions sometimes are more close to hate than love when it comes to seeing people in need. And Jesus giving us the real example, and it's no mistake that he pointed out she was a widow. We want to keep in mind anguish is a common response when it comes to the loss of a spouse. We are Christians are called to show compassion and possibly pick up some responsibilities for widows. Everyone reacts differently when dealing with the loss of a loved one. A widow must deal with extreme distress of body, mind, or spirit, excruciating pain, or suffering of soul, including excessive grief, remorse, and despair. This is desperate. But I can't wait to get out of church to drive by the beach. We better understand the intent 
pure heart of the church as we observe special portions of scripture about widows. For instance, James 1.27, powerful. Religion is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and guess who? Widows. Visit them. Oh, I'm too busy. Visit those widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a blessing to us as we go and visit widows. An absolute blessing. One thing does it do? It keeps us out of the world. It keeps our mind focused on what Jesus wants us focused. This idea of widows is not a secondary. When we get a chance, let's take care of widows. Now let's look at the end of Jesus' life. This one kind of got me. I didn't, never really thought it in this term. His time on the cross is relatively short. However, he had the wrath of God and the consequences of the sins of the world occupying his mind, didn't he? On the cross, Jesus spoke to only a few individuals and directly to God the Father, just a couple. He spoke to the thief on the cross, forgiving his sins in an amazing evangelical act toward a single person during a stressful moment in time. But this is what I thought. If I were Jesus, would I have been tempted to say to this sinning thief, I'm kind of busy right now. I have the sins of the world on my back. You know, I'm busy right now. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus gave him eternal life. But the other conversation, John 19, 26 to 27, when Jesus saw his mother and disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Now, what would I have said? Well, I don't know. I'd have to get my house prepared. Not sure I want somebody living in, kind of interrupting my lifestyle. I can come up with a lot of good excuses. But here on the cross, Jesus saw his mother, had compassion on her, and went to uh, the apostle John. So Jesus' last act towards another was taking care of his widowed mother. Do we need anything more clear? We already heard in the Old Testament what God was going to do to people who mistreated widows. That was enough for me. But then when I was studying here and began to realize Actually, yes, it was his mother, but she also was a widow. She needed to be taken care of. It's fascinating that Jesus selected the Apostle John, to me. I thought it was interesting. Who is known to this day as who? The loving disciple. Jesus gave him somebody who he said, this is who I want to take care of my mom. She's a widow. She needs help. I want John. Jesus selected a godly, compassionate man who would treat Mary as his own mother. Is that what we do when we work with widows, by the way? Do we treat them as if they're like our own mother? Well, it may be a mystery why Jesus didn't place the care of his widowed mother to his half-siblings, which crossed my mind. Couldn't find an answer. 
John was the perfect choice. So we can now better understand why Paul would include in 1 Timothy this relatively large section of scripture on the importance of uh, properly caring for widows. It's clear that the care of widows and widows' activities are the reflection of an obedient church and you and me. God has graciously provided specific guidelines for widows. Like I said, they're very clear. To properly understand their ministry responsibilities. These guidelines also prove that the church on how to provide support and counsel for widows in need as they carry out obedient daily living. For instance, widows can have a powerful spiritual impact and practical ministries with children and women in the church. Titus 2, 3 through 5, perfect example. It says, older women likewise should be relevant and beha- uh, reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. While older women are to permanently devote themselves to the service of the church, that's the older ones, the general principle for younger widows is to what? It's really clear. Remarry. Got to remarry. So that might mean you need to do some counseling with a widow. And if there are certain issues that were mentioned in those verses, I won't go back to them, but if she seems to be susceptible to that, then it's good to lean her towards getting married again. However, that is not a demand. If a woman has a heart for God and is willing to give up marriage and she can do so accordingly, that is a good and pure thing. Excellent, as a matter of fact. Their social activity, this is uh, widows, is to be pure, free of gossip, and busybody activities. No compromise in a selection of a godly man, if that's what they're going to do, if they're going to get remarried again, and pray to strive to establish a godly family household. That's what younger widows should be praying about. And this is very important, where it says, no compromise in the selection of a godly man. Very important that she gets lined up with a godly man and not one that you hope becomes godly. So back for a moment to the requirements for widows in need who are to be enrolled on this interesting list. A list that kept order and accountability in how the church was ministering to them. Here are some of John MacArthur's thoughts on the list of widows in need who lives, lives characterized solid spiritual believer, as a solid spiritual believer. Number one, this is for the list now. They are to be 60 or more years old. Therefore, not driven by desire, but time, maturity, character, reputation, and compassion to serve the Lord and the church. It's the proper heart for a widow, and she must be at least 60 years old. Second, the widow was to be a one-man woman similar to the elder and deacon requirements. Remember we covered those not too long ago? And isn't this interesting? Paul's trying to restructure the church 
and he took time to talk about widows, what we need to do with widows. And widows are held to a uh, high standard. In other words, their previous marriage life would have shown them to be devoted to only their husband. That's what that really means. Okay. Remember, some of them could have been either deserted, divorced under proper scripture. Number three, a reputation for good works. She would be above reproach. And here are five things that make up good works. Number one, brought up children in a godly home to fear and love the Lord. Now, we have to be a little careful about this. This is not a depreciation of women who did not have children. That's not what it's talking about. Generally speaking, the widows had children. So this is kind of a general statement. And by the way, it would be pretty hard to hold a woman accountable to that because it is God who gives the children. Right? Paul is not depreciating them or that they remain single. This is just a general principle. Number two is shown hospitality to strangers. Remember we talked about that too, having to do with the elders and deacons? Here it is for the widows. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Caesarea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself also, said Paul. This is a godly, godly woman. Has helped church members all along time for us in the church to be taking care of them. Now here's a controversial one. Remember your arguments of John MacArthur, not me on this. Number three. He washed the saints' feet. Now, that was a slave's job back in those days because they're out in the roads, dirty, getting filthy. It's a way that you showed a real welcome, and it was a real special thing. Phoebe lived out a humble servant's heart. Washing saints' feet was but one example of how a woman lovingly serves others with menial tasks. Number four or five, he assists those in distress. She devotes herself serving others who are physically, mentally, emotionally, and monetarily in need. Widows can be wonderful, wonderful servants of the Lord. Number five, devoted herself to every good work, has energetically and enthusiastically given herself to good deeds. Where are we on this? Do we energetically, enthusiastically give ourselves to this church, whether we're dealing with widows, whether we're dealing with each other, or do we put up with each other? I mean, where do, where do we fall? Or do we have our favorites? You know. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translates means Dorcas. Now, if any of you out there, if your name translated Dorcas, there's a reason to be a little rebellious, I would think. But she was full of good works and acts of charity, which you find in Acts 9.36. So I'm just giving you examples of what we're talking about. These characteristics prepare the widow to have a reputation of excellence. As we see in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, which happens to be the proverb that every woman likes to avoid. Very demanding. But it shows a loving woman to our Lord Jesus Christ 
the way to behave. I think every strong believer, woman believer, that I know strived for that. I've never had one tell me she has it mastered. And for all of us, Matthew 3.8 commends that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And what Paul is suggesting to you here is, is where is your heart for those believers who need our assistance? Obviously, to widows too. So a conclusion to what's going on in this part of Scripture. The favorite, uh, that's always the most favorite um, statement made by anybody speaking in it. In conclusion, we love the clear direction of ministry to the widows, don't we? We love that clear. Have we really studied it? I, I don't know. I have not studied it as much as I had this week, ever. And I've been a believer for 40 how old's Josh? 45? Yeah. 43? Okay. But who's counting? We ask that our hearts will be responsive and sensitive to women in a widows in a biblical way. And we have a heart dedicated that craves to be grounded daily in the word. Remember the part talking about at the beginning? Start your day grounded in the word, then carry out your ministry. If we ignore our own personal growth, then we're headed for disaster with our ministry. And Jesus does not want to lose the communication with you, even though we're doing great things. In his name. He seems to be, as we've seen all the way through tonight, he's a master who loves one-on-one -on -one communication. Finally, may we be obedient to embracing and sharing the gospel, including believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and repenting from our sins. Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is, is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And part of that is we're to believe we have a responsibility for widows. If you don't know the gospel, ask someone here who does. And I know in a small group like this, and I know you all. You're all professing believers and I have no reason not to believe that on anybody in this room but the Bible does tell us to make our calling and election what? Sure. Make sure we're not fooling ourselves and one way to do that is is say what is my plan for widows? What do I do for widows? And if you have a hard time filling out that list we need to turn back and say, God, I, you haven't given me a heart for widows. And before you think, oh, Gary, you're just saying that because you talked about that tonight, I'm amazed at how much of that First Timothy letter was filled with dealing with widows. Think about everything he could have mentioned. This was a problem in the church then, and it's a problem now. So we'll just end tonight with asking ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, are we dedicated to be with the Lord first thing in the morning, every morning? I don't care what your hours are at work because it doesn't say we're to spend time with God every day when he fits into our schedule. We're to make him 
fit into our schedule. There is no good reason for not digging into God's word each and every day. By the way, God is no better. Jesus is no better when you read his word. You're incredibly better when we read his word every day. That's how we can strive for excellence. And that's how we do it. We get his word, we intake, we think about it, and we get prepared for the day. And as was suggested by Hudson Taylor at the beginning, you can't go about your Christian life without spending time in his word and seeing your own growth. Impossible. So I just challenge you with questioning yourself there. Number two, what is your personal plan with widows? Can you write it down? Can you say, this is what I do? Do you have a specific plan on how you are assisting widows? And by the way, that has to do with obedient widows and it has to do with disobedient widows. There is a time and a place where we individually need to address a disobedient widow. If she's living a life that is not glorifying to God, we may need to deal with that, bring it to her attention, help her with that. But what's your plan? I mean, if you weren't going to leave tonight without on a list, this is how I'm going to spend time with God every morning. And number two, this is my plan for widows. Would Jesus let you out that door? Would he let you out that door? Or would you say, enough's enough. I got my plate full already. Well, tonight, Jesus called every one of us to pay attention to our lives and what we're doing on behalf of widows, for widows. And by the way, don't forget those two little verses at the beginning Andy read about, to each other. What are we doing to assist each other? So shall we pray? Oh, Lord, as we like to say on Sunday evenings, what a gospel and what a savior. I get just overwhelmed sometimes thinking about the, just the road and the path that you give us for daily living and also the things that we're asked to do but yet we don't. Also, we hear from your word on a regular basis from the pulpits here at our church. And so many times, if everybody is like me, they don't walk away with a plan on how they're going to put that part of what they've heard into action. I pray, God, that every person here would have more of a heart towards widows, that would have a plan a plan that they are seeking to carry out and they are in prayer with you over that plan and equally so on the time that they spend with you. Now, Father God, that we don't treat you like another thing on a to-do list, but we treat you as a must-do each and every day. We just pray that you would give that to me, you'd give it to each person here, and that, Father God, that in the end, we know that you will take that time that we spend in your word and make us more like you. 
We thank you that you forgive our sins. We thank you, Father God, that you are a loving God. And we also thank you for your compassion for widows and also for each one of us. We just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.